0: Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode number 13. Today, Tim Little is going to talk to us from Ecclesiastes about humility, but before we do that... As always, we have some Thinkling's business to tend to. Let's talk about some books.
1: All right, I'll go first. I have uh, I've been studying archaeology. No
0: books in business.
1: Um, yeah, you whatever. Just, you just dropped it. Well, Man, this I, book's out of print, so oh. nobody can buy it.
2: Oh, there it is. No, no commercial.
1: Well, you can buy it, I guess, used on Amazon. So archaeology Yeah, archaeology. Like where the ark landed.
2: Oh my wah, wah, wah. Okay, Tim, so what
0: book, what book did you bring, <laughs> Tim? Let's restart this idea.
1: Ar- <laughs> archaeology in the Old Testament by Alfred Hirth. Um, speaking of archaeology, how how much archaeology do you get into in, like, apologetics? Do you guys talk about that much?
2: Not a lot. We We're more philosophical in the in mind so a lot of ours isn't where all the evidence is we're talking about like how do you handle the topic to begin with and then they feed out and so you got like science on the one hand and then archaeology would be another one that uh-huh. we, would, yeah. we would point to afterwards
1: yeah i just i was talking to somebody and i guess geisler has a book on archaeology and i was like oh, why would i care about that geisler's an apologist but i was like well apologetics and yeah. archaeology does of kind of go a lot yep. together yeah.
0: sometimes the evidence demands a verdict <laughs> And
2: that's important. That's well done. Oh, I'll give you two points. Yes! That was impressive.
1: So this book, Archaeology in the Old Testament, uh, by Hirth, is the book I kind of cut my teeth on when it comes to archaeology. He kind of goes through the study of archaeology according to the biblical corpus, looking at the patriarchs and relevant archaeological finds. But it's kind of dated now, but still really helpful information as far as what an archaeologist is. For example, what is an archaeologist? A really boring b- dude. <laughs> that's it. Very, very boring. Back They're usually... Indiana Jones. Yeah, no, not. Because that's what... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Got him.
1: That's, what, Jones. Everybody, that's what everybody <laughs> thinks about when they think of an archaeologist, because they've seen a little bit too much of Indiana Jones. Uh, an archaeologist is usually just a historian. He's a professor. And his main responsibility when it comes to archaeology is to write... That's his main job. He's not a paleontologist or any of that kind of stuff. He usually hires those kinds of people and brings them along. He's also usually good at raising money and getting permits to dig and all that jazz. So he really digs his subject? (laughs) (laughs) Not literally. He gets poor college students to do it for him Uh, for free.
0: (laughs) Sure. Okay, so we haven't been completely faithful in doing this, but let's put this book on the goodness scale.
1: Oh, yeah. Thinking's goodness, goodness scale. Or All, where'd you put it? Everything's positive from zero up.
0: So you, you're mentioning it. So you know it's, you, you're mentioning it. So it's good.
1: It has value. So I'm, it's a little dated. That's probably the biggest problem right now. Uh, the beginning chapter is really helpful on methodology and what an archaeologist is and is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, i probably put it on maybe like a four. There's some better books on archaeology out there now that I would put above it.
2: Okay. That's, the method, I think the methodology part would be interesting to read. Just that, like, Think through, like, what's the process they're going through and how they... That would be interesting. Because from a historian, because I teach history, mm-hmm. some history classes mm-hmm. too, and that sounds very interesting.
1: Yeah. So I'm like, with methodology, I'm going to talk about another book on archaeology in our next episode. So stay oh. tuned. Okay. Oh, Ooh. stay tuned. Ooh, you I'm, can do I'm
2: that by subscribing. Oh, that's... Yes. You can
0: automatically stay tuned by subscribing. I usually don't say things like that, but you yeah, should that's subscribe. Like... Okay. So book that I'm reading... It's not something I'm reading right now, but it's something that I think it probably about a year and a half ago that I can't remember if all three of us were working through it at the same time. The Habits of the Mind yep. by yeah, all three Sire, of us. and there's a lot of great things in there, a lot of great quotes. The opening chapter he's talking about, is it Henry Johnson? I can't remember that guy's name, but some, some guy that he thinks is like a great example of a Christian Newman. mind. Oh, that's Henry, Henry Newman. Newman, yeah. There we go. Yep, Johnson. I don't know why Johnson popped in my mind. One of the big themes he hits on is to be a Christian intellectual. One of the virtues that you must demonstrate is humility. Maybe painted in the sense of you need to be willing to learn. That kind of opens up the channels of the mind. I've got a lot of highlights and underlines, and it's kind of just perusing back through it. Put it on the goodness scale. Be interested to see what you guys do with it on the goodness scale. I would say it's at least a solid five.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say six and a half or seven. I had to yeah. read it for. I think I had to read it from one of my doctoral classes, and then we, I think we all did it together, and it was just a joyous time.
0: Well, you were reading that French guy. What's his name?
2: Certeanges. Serté- yeah. Serté- I mean, the intellectual life.
0: Certeanges is how we say it to, to the to the lay folk <laughs> yeah. here. But you, I know you were reading that, and because he, mm-hmm. he uh, Sire, quotes him all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That book was, no, Habits of the Mind, that was a good one.
1: Yeah, I would probably put it at like a seven or an eight. Uh, I strongly recommend it to the college guys. There's such a de-emphasis upon thinking, and that book is all about thinking. So, I mean, it's it's not like, hey, you know, we're in a college and academics is our thing, so we're going to emphasize this kind of thing. No, I mean, he talks about how everybody needs to be thinking and to think better or you don't know how much you can think. So let's figure that out and tr- keep thinking kind of a thing. It's a great book.
2: It is. It really is. And I think we're too scared that if we think too much, we're going to become a Pharisee or something mm-hmm. because
1: we've thought too hard about the Bible or become an atheist. And yeah, that's the faith. Yeah. And I
2: think he, he shows that neither of those are true. And I, if you think about it from a, de, from an apologetics design standpoint, God designed our bodies to do like field work and, you know, have arms and hands and legs. Why did he give us a mind so we can think? Now, I think, Charlie, the point you brought up that he makes in that chapter about humility is is key. It's interesting that you're reading Sire because I am just finishing How to Read Slowly. And uh, so I I won't bring this up again, but I would just heartily recommend it to our listeners. How to Read Slowly is great. The book is basically an overview on how to read. He covers how to read prose. That's just basic exposition or normal books that are just explaining things. Poetry and that was a game changer for me. I'd never read on poetry. I thought poetry always had to rhyme. I didn't understand anything about it. It was very helpful. Then fiction and then like greater context. And then at the very end he has a reading plan, like a chap a whole chapter on how to like start books and what books to find. It was really helpful. He made one comment in there that I want to share as a nugget that really helped me. He said when you read, you need to remember that reading is a means. To another thing. It's not the end. So if you read, if you treat reading like an end, like, oh okay, God, I got to read, I got to read, so you can get done and say you've read, he would suspect most of the time you're going to miss the point. So the reason you read is for another purpose. Well, what's that other purpose? Well, it's to grow in your mind, to grow in your love of God, to grow in your understanding of the world. And having that vision in front of you as you read is helpful. And I just think of the college students, like, we professors are loading them up with books, and that's just part of the job. Um, and it's part of your task. Every college student has to do that. But if you remember the reason you're reading is because you're trying to grow. The, the professor has an idea. Or you get out of college, why keep reading just so you can say I'm a reader? No, you read so you can better understand God. You can better understand the world you're in. So I would just, I would really recommend And I that.
0: know we've talked about this before, but man, does that not just, could you could you put a synonym in there? You just read to read, you just read for... Fun, mm. read for entertainment, mm. which is a valid. It
2: is well. It's it it's, it's a good
0: thing, but
2: delighting in what reading offers is okay, yeah. and that's a different kind of fun, like a diversionary. Like I don't want to think about life. Well, okay.
1: Oh, go get a beer. They'll do the same
2: thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'll watch TV, <laughs> Netflix, whatever. Okay,
0: calm down over there. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, <I> ex-
2: <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that if you're delighting in growing and and strengthening your mind that God gave you, I think that's a good thing. So on sure. the Thinkling's goodness scale, I'm going to say nine. Really, I really think that's up. You we know need up to do, there. we need to make a t-shirt,
0: and it's it needs to say something like, I'm a 10 on the Thinkling's goodness scale, <laughs> or something like that. Only it'd be well, really we, weird, because we it's tweak only referring this. to books.
2: Yeah, we got to tweak the scale, make sure we can figure out like a, you know. Yeah, I
0: think maybe like someday, like five, ten years from now, people would know what the Thinklings Goodness Scale is. I don't know. Like a New York Times bestseller, get out of the way. It's now <laughs> all about the Thinklings Goodness Scale. And on that note, let's talk about humility. <laughs> We're gonna talk about humility, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sort of.
0: <laughs> Sorry, that was a that was a tough segue there.
2: That was a great segue. Good but job. I mean
0: it's no longer a great segue because I mentioned it as a segue. So now it, it loses segue value. Once you all reach. right. Yeah, okay. Let's yep.
1: okay. go ahead. Here, Tim got us all. So we've got Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes six, and Ecclesiastes six twelve. I'm just going to read it for you. For who knows what is good for man in life, all the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? In the book of Ecclesiastes, you have a dividing mark uh, right about here. In the Old Testament, you frequently need to ignore any kind of chapter divisions. Uh, they are often poor. So this would be one of those. It, does, it, is, uh, it is kind of a transitional section. Uh, in chapter 7, verse 1 is kind of new content, but he's beginning to answer this question that he poses in, verse, in chapter 6, verse 12. And the, what I want to focus on here is who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? And then this idea of who knows? what is good for man in life. The, uh, the, if you want to do a, a Bible study, here's a fun Bible study for you. Go through Ecclesiastes, uh, particularly the end of the book, and note every use of the word know or knows or knowledge or something to that effect. Because what he's arguing is that you don't know. And this coincides really with James Sire's book, Habits of the Mind. Habits of the Mind, the guy that Charlie forgot his name, Newman, Newman is explaining three different philosophical systems, essentially a pre-modern, modern, and post-modern views of life, uh, world views. And he's arguing for a pre-modern view of life. And a pre-modern view of life recognizes that there's truth out there, but I'm a human. And so guess what? I can't really know. I have to be humble in the views that I espouse. Because... God is true. God possesses the truth. But I am just a man. I would contend that the book of Ecclesiastes, particularly these last five chapters, argue for a pre-modern, uh, what do you call pre a pre-modern worldview? I think a, you could. You could say it's a worldview. I think it's a way of looking at life. I know, Ep- but how much do I really know? Yeah. It's a epistemology. Uh, that's what
2: epistemology is the word that just came to my mind. Mm-hmm.
1: So i want to just kind of trace this thought a little bit through the book of Ecclesiastes. What do we know? What do we not know? And uh, his big point is that we really don't know a whole lot of anything. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 14, it says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. You see, man's trying to figure something out. What's going to happen next? Well, I don't, I don't know. So uh, who does know? God knows. God knows what's going to happen next, but man does not know. So that's one, th- one part of uh, his argument here in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. The word after him is kind of a key phrase here as well. It occurs in chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 11, as he builds on this idea of what we know and what we don't know. Now, I've got to jump around a little bit here. So you need to study this out for yourself. But right now, I want to go to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 5, we have, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. For they have no more reward, and the memory of them is forgotten. So what do we know? What do we really know? Hey, here's something we know. I know I'm going to die. Hmm. You know, as we look at the future and look at what the future holds, how much do we really know? But how much does God know? Well, we don't really know a whole lot. We can make some guesses. We can estimate, but we can use wisdom and live in wisdom. But when it comes down to it, we really don't know. Hey, but here's one thing I do know. I know I'm going to die. That's positive and encouraging. Also note that we do live in the New Testament era. So there is the possibility of the Lord Jesus' return. So it's a little bit different but still, uh, our possibilities and what we really know is questionable. Now I want to go through, go over to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 5. As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So he hits on this theme throughout this passage, this section, and here at the end, what is his advice? His advice is, do it. The context is sowing your grain. Well, man, if it's going to If the wind's going to come, then that's going to mess stuff up and it's going to be a loss. If the rain comes, then it's going to mess stuff up and it's going to be a loss. Oh, what am I supposed to do? What am I going to do? Well, it's not like they just would be like, well, I can see that really dark cloud and there's thunder and lightning It's coming my way. I'm going to go do it. No, they're still using wisdom to uh, make plans. But the truth is that they don't know. So what does he say to do? You go and you do it. This connects to the whole idea of the will of God. So many people, they're trying to discern, oh, man, God, what do you want me to do? I don't know, blah, 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 blah. So they start playing the Bible roulette and sticking their finger on a page. They start consulting various different sources, praying for some sign in the sky. What does God actually want you to do? He wants you to exercise wisdom and to make a decision. We actually see this in this passage. Oh, God, am I supposed to plant the seed? Am I supposed to harvest now? What does God want you to do? use wisdom and go for it. Is it always going to work? No. Sometimes it might not work. Is that okay? Yes, that is okay. It can fail. When we are playing this um, Bible roulette, when we're praying for the sign in the sky, we actually are become, have become very pagan in our view of God. We're essentially taking the guts of the animal like the pagans did of old and they're moving the guts around to try to figure out the sign of what the gods are doing, so then they can know what to do in accordance with the gods. No, God doesn't expect that of us. God doesn't want us to do that. God knows what that future is, but he's not going to tell you. He expects you to just live by wisdom and then to trust him. Some have a, somebody explained the book of Ecclesiastes as like the man, a man on the search for the the meaning of life. And he finds out that God has the key to life. And then he says, Lord, give me the key to life. And what does God say? God says, no, you have to trust me. Does God know the future? You better believe he does. Is he going to tell you? You better believe he won't. What he expects you to do is to trust him. So you need to be humble because you don't know.
0: Actually, go right back to, to Sire. This is this is probably one of my favorite quotes from, I already mentioned, Habits of the Mind. This is uh, page 107, the Intellectual Virtues. Yes, the human mind has limitations. Yes, humility must characterize our self-understanding. Yes, each individual mind has its own limitations. Only few of us can rival John Henry Newman, let alone Augustine, John Calvin, Gertrude Himmelfarb, which... That's an amazing name. That's a name,
1: all right. Keep going.
0: Simone Whale or Vale, I don't know how to pronounce that one, or whoever our favorite intellectual giant is. We might not be able to be like this really smart, amazing guy that we've read, but none of us know how much our mind can stretch. And here's my favorite quote. We simply can't know what we can't know unless someone who knows we can't know tells us. God has done that, of course. He has told us that we cannot penetrate his mind to the depths. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But there is little else he has told us we cannot know, and there is, to be sure, very much that can be known. So we must not sell ourselves short, whether as humanity, as a whole, or as individuals. Maybe, just maybe, we can hear at least an echo of the music of the spheres yes, we need to humbly approach it and recognize there are things we will not know, mm-hmm. but like you said, we just sometimes you need to work in wisdom mm-hmm. and think and, and, and work and act and,
2: and do. And then trust the Lord. Yeah, I, I think of so many times when uh, there's a big decision to be made and I've researched everything on Amazon or on Google, I've read all the reviews, uh, either it's maybe a large purchase or Uh, Maybe it's plans, what I'm going to do next week, or maybe there's this decision on whether I do this thing or that. Uh, Maybe it's involving just you, maybe it's involving your immediate family or group. And I can think of many times where I cannot figure out what to do. And I go back and I keep doing more study and I keep more research and I I cannot figure out which way to go. And it's paralyzing. I realized as you're telling this, it's paralyzing because what I'm actually trying to do in that moment is not exercise wisdom. I'm trying to know the plan of God so I don't have to have a hard life if that's what God's choosing. And what you're saying is not to be unwise, not to be irresponsible, not to go willy-nilly through life not thinking about it. You're saying know the word, know the Lord, try to exercise biblical wisdom, and then make a decision trusting him. Would you include asking wise counselors? Like all the normal stuff you would say is okay. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day you don't know, you decide I'll trust God. and I,
1: Is that a fair? Yeah, that okay. would be it. You, just, man, that's you helpful. trust the Lord and then you just take that step. And everybody looks at the book of Ecclesiastes and they're like, man, this book is so negative. I don't like this book. This guy is just some secular philosopher or whatever. And then we have this corrective at the end, fear God and keep his commandments. And so then they go to the end and say, that's it. Well, that, that, that's like the essence of wisdom is to fear God and keep his commandments. It's the essence of wisdom because so much of wisdom actually doesn't make sense unless you fear God. What Boaz did didn't make any sense, except he feared God, and then he did it. He feared God and he kept his commandments, and then what happened? God blessed him. So, what is the wise thing to do is sometimes not the right thing to do, and that's why what is what is the will of God? Mm, your yes, sanctification. sanctification. Yep. All right. Absolutely. And so that is always the will of God. And even if it doesn't make any wise sense at all, it is the will of God. Fear God and then keep his commandments and you have to trust him. And when you said wise right there, you meant it in
2: the practical, pragmatic, strategic. Correct. Counting the cost sense, not the moral. Correct. James 3 sense. That's a really ooh, That's really good.
1: I also use Isaiah as an illustration. When Isaiah is called into the ministry, he's called to a terrible ministry. Anybody using wisdom is going to say to God, No, I don't want to do that. Are you kidding me? That's like the worst plan ever. Okay? Get somebody else to go preach a message that nobody wants to listen to and everybody's going to try to kill you. No thanks. But if you fear God and keep his commandments, you've just redefined what is wise. So you fear God, you keep his commandments and you live in wisdom according to God's standard and you obey him and you do it and you trust him to take care of you. And God did take care of him.
2: It's funny because I don't ever remember in all the church growth books out there ever one being about Isaiah, (laughs) how to grow your church the Isaiah way. (laughs) Or Jeremiah. (laughs) Yeah, Jeremiah. (laughs) Imagine being nicknamed the weepy pastor. It's funny, a long time ago, I was trying to figure out the will of God for my life. And I was talking to my buddy, and I was much younger, and he was much wiser. I think, probably, I can't remember what the issue was, but I was probably trying to make one of these kind of decisions. And I think he said, Andy, God wants us to know his will, but it doesn't necessarily say we're ever going to know his plan. So you can, and, and I think he distinguished a little bit like the a step-by-step plan unfolds that God knows like what's happening next, what's happening next. I think that might've been what he was getting at. Okay. But we do know God's will, sanctification. There's a lot of statements uh-huh. like that, like sure. okay, what he yeah. desires for our life. So you could almost make that, maybe that's a distinction to make. Okay. Um, But it is interesting when you fear the Lord and you do what God wants you to do. Looking back, sometimes you don't always see it, but sometimes you can go, oh, that was good. And God did take care of me. He was faithful.
0: I, I love when, Tim, when you walk through something like this, You, I think you've said it almost every time you've done something. You said, yeah, there's a lot of things I could talk about, but you just need to go and read and think about this yourself, which is true. Because A lot of the value, the wisdom of this, it's not an answer. It's a way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And yes, truth guides your thinking, but it becomes incredibly practical when you start putting it into practice in your life, you're recognizing, oh, maybe I'm not wise in this area. I'm not doing things maybe the best way. And maybe remembering that you don't know what God is doing is going to help you be wise this week. Yes. And we, we hope that that's true of us and we hope that's true of you.